Morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, thanks, music team, as well, for leading us into God's presence. As we continue to sit in God's presence, we want to hear the Word of God. Before we go to that, uh, you know, today's uh, the sermon title, the acronym is D&D, with the relaxation of the safe management measures. I'm not sure how many of you already had in your offices or your family some kind of dinner and dance uh, celebration, uh, groups of 10. Anyone already had groups of 10 celebration? Wow, no one there to raise hands, huh? <laughs> right? But today's uh, sermon title, D&D, does not stand for dinner and dance, but really deceptions and dreams. We will talk about these two topics uh, later on. Uh, thanks, everyone, again, for your concern. Uh, for those who don't know, I had COVID start of May, uh, mid-March, and uh, had quite a long period battling COVID. Uh, thank you for your prayers and concerns. Continue to pray for full recovery, but definitely better than two weeks ago uh, than I preached. So thanks for the prayer. Today's sermon uh, actually spans five chapters, Genesis chapter 27 to 31. I don't know what got into my mind when I was planning the pulpit series, but then when I turned to it, hey, wow, five chapters. And so if I were to read all five chapters, uh, that would be the sermon for today. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey, why your love? Hey, the word of God is powerful, you know. You should actually try, this is a side point, but you should actually try reading the word of God aloud. It will give you fresh insight as the Holy Spirit guides you, you know, to give you insight into His Word. So take time, if you are doing your own devotions, rather than just reading it with your eyes, take time to read it out aloud slowly, and that will help you to interact with God's Word even more. But for everyone's sake and for my sake, I've chosen to focus on the familiar passage of Jacob's letter, uh, even though I will cover the brief span of the five chapters very briefly, but we'll just zoom in on that particular chapter. So before we get to that, uh, let's pray and commit this sermon to the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, and most importantly, the actions of all our lives be pleasing to you, bring you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of us are probably familiar with the story of Hansel and Gretel. So if you are not familiar, this is, this is a very short summary. So these two children, they ran away from home because of their wicked stepmother. Right? So as they ran away from home, they thought they would make their way home by leaving breadcrumbs on the floor and so they can retrace their steps back to go home when necessary. Unfortunately, they discovered that all these breadcrumbs were missing. And so they were hungry, they were lost in the woods. And then they stumbled across this house made of candy, sweets. And so being hungry, out of desperation, they decided to nibble from this house and it turned out to be a witch's house, a witch's hut. And so they found themselves tricked and then uh, trapped inside. So Hansel uh, was seen as the, by the witch as a good meal. So the witch would try to fatten him up, feed him every day, put him inside a cage, and feed him every day so that he'd be fat and nice to eat. Whereas Gretel was made to do all the household chores. Now thankfully for them, the witch had very poor eyesight. And so in order to test whether Hansel was fat enough, he would ask, them, stick, ask him to stick out his finger and then to, so she can feel whether he's really you know, fattening up. And the children, cleverly, every time that the witch would ask for this uh, finger, they would put up a bone, right? So the witch would feel, wow, why so skinny? How come you're not eating enough, is it? So uh, to cut the long story short, so the children not just deceived the witch into thinking that Hansel wasn't being well fed, but eventually they tricked her to go into the oven that she set up, you know, to try to cook Hansel and then managed to escape. And so they ran home to their beloved dad and to their delight, they discovered their wicked stepmom had died uh, not too soon after their disappearance and now they are happily reunited with their dad. So today's episode, uh, this chapters 27 to 31, it does cover also a similar case of poor eyesight and clever deception. 
poor eyesight, clever deception. And we know this is the story of Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau. He's trying to bless the two of them, but poor man cannot see anymore. He cannot even tell who is his son, <laughs> right? And clever deception by Jacob. So we know the story very well. Isaac wanted to bless these two sons. So he told his favorite son, the firstborn, the Esau, please cook my favorite meal so I can bless you. So Esau went out to hunt. And when he took a while to come back, Jacob seized that moment, uh, put on uh, animal skin onto his arm to deceive his dad. Because we know that Esau is a hairy man. So that's what he did. He deceived, he cleverly deceived his dad to take advantage of his poor eyesight and got the blessing. And so we learned from PTM QC last week, right? Our pastor team member, Kwichu, last week, that deception ran through Abraham's family. It's not, it's not just Abraham who told lies. Isaac himself also told a lie. And now we see Isaac being deceived by Jacob. Of course, Jacob was involved clearly in deception and lying. And so when Esau returned and discovered that Jacob had, you know, deceived their father, he wanted to kill his brother Jacob, surely, right? Because all the blessings has been taken by his brother. So he threatened uh, Jacob's life and Jacob, of course, had to flee. And so this familiar passage of Jacob's ladder is really uh, because of that. Jacob was running away in fear of his brother who was trying to kill him. But there was also another reason why Jacob was asked to leave. So before that, uh, Esau, we know, went to marry Canaanite women. His parents already told him, don't marry Canaanite women, but he went to do that in spite of that. And then after this episode, when he, uh, Jacob stole his blessing, he married even more Canaanite women to spite his parents. And so the parents were very disappointed with him. Why would he do this kind of thing? And so they told Jacob, please go back to my homeland. The mom, Rebecca, told, her, told him, go back to my hometown and find the right woman to marry. Don't marry any of these Canaanite women. So that's the second reason why Jacob was on the run. First, from his brother. And second, he was on a mission to go and get himself the right woman to marry. And so with that stage set, let's read our passage for today. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil upon it, on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, which in Hebrew means the house of God, though the city used to be called Lutz. Now Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now, when you read a passage like this, do you ever imagine to yourself how did Jacob's ladder look like? What was this stairway? I have two images here. Did you imagine one of these two pictures? 
You know what did Jacob see? Is it really a ladder? The typical way we use a ladder to fix a light bulb, right? Similar there. Or a stairway to heaven. Maybe you're influenced by the rock song. <laughs> stairway to heaven. Well, really, it's neither of this. Most likely, it's neither of this because scholars say that this Hebrew word is related to an Akkadian word which basically uh, is used to describe the Mesopotamian ziggurats, a temple tower. Let me show you a picture of an example of a ziggurat that is used. This could also be the Tower of Babel, probably the shape or one of the likely possibilities. Now, why did we get this word ladder then? Well, it's no thanks to the Latin Vulgate translation. They use the word ladder, and from generation to generation, you know, in the past, they're not uh, so literate, not everyone can read, right? And they didn't have printing press, and so the word ladder stuck for generations. That's why we have this idea of Jacob's ladder, and it's very hard to change this long history of tradition. But most scholars think it's more like a ziggurat, very unlikely the first two images. However, there's a scholar in the year 2019, who even challenged this idea of a ziggurat. Is that really what Jacob saw? In this article, the scholar argued that it's not likely to have any nicely built staircases. Rather, it was probably like a ram, a siege ram. If you're trying to invade a city, you will build a ram like this. You're not going to use wow, well-chiseled stones, right? You're attacking the city. You just have anything that piles up and you can run into the city. And so the scholar argues this is more likely the case of what Jacob saw, a descent from heaven, the city of God, down to earth. Okay, regardless uh, of how you see it, I have my own preference, and I think this latest scholarship article probably is somewhere I'm more inclined towards. Why? Because when Jacob woke up, he said this is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. I don't know about you, but you probably imagine, you know, when in the past I imagined this ladder going into the clouds, right? But if you just go into the cloud, you won't see called something as a house of God or the city or the gate. He must have saw something up there, heavenly dwelling place with some kind of city or gate. And so I do subscribe to this uh, last little scholarship uh, idea. Nonetheless, regardless of what scholars think and what I think, this, all these are side points. It doesn't really matter what exactly he saw in his vision, in his dream, rather. The more important thing is to take note the other details in this account. First of all, he saw angels of God ascending and descending on it. Okay, that's the first thing you need to take note. Angels of God ascending and descending on it. In other words, this is the gateway to heaven. It's the pathway in which angels come and leave from heaven and enter our earth and from earth back to heaven. And most importantly, right above all these angels ascending and descending is the Lord. That is the most important point. The Lord stood upon it and he said this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. See, again, God is a covenantal God. He introduces himself, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now I'm appearing to you. Secondly, he says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying on. Does it sound familiar? Who heard this first? Abraham. Right? Abraham was given this promise, I will give you descendants, I will give you this land, I will give this land to your descendants. Right? And then your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Sounds familiar again? Yes, because that's what God promised Abraham. And then you will spread out, your, the, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Again, another covenantal promise. So God is a faithful covenantal God. He made these promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. Same promises. 
Unconditional. Again, notice that it is God who takes the initiative here. It is not Jacob who asked to go and see God. God came to Jacob in a dream. God took the initiative to review all the covenantal promises that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac. The only thing that is specific to Jacob is the last line, I am with you, I will not leave you until I bring you back to this land, I have done what I promised for you. So that's specific to Jacob because he's on this journey. Now we need to take note that this is the first time that God appears to Jacob. You can read the book of Genesis for yourself, but this is the very first time that God appears to Jacob. So at this juncture, Jacob does not yet have a personal, first-hand experience and relationship with God. We must bear in mind this. Huh? This is the first time God appears to Jacob. Jacob does not yet have the kind of faith that Abraham had. Abraham had a lot of faith, right? right? But not Jacob. This is the first time he's meeting God. And so Jacob makes a very conditional promise. If God, if God, you will be with me and you provide for me, you watch over me, you give me food and clothes, everything that I need and I return safely, then I will worship you. But you must do all this first, huh? Then I will worship you. I will give you a tenth. I will give you my tithe. Now let's think about that. Isn't that like many of us? Don't we also make kind of uh, transactional promises with God? God, if you do this for me, I will do that for you. God, if you give me this job, I will tithe to you. God, if you do this, I will come back to church. God, if you give me a child, I will offer this child back to you. Don't we all make kind of uh, this kind of similar transactional promises with God? I don't know about you, maybe you're all holy and righteous, but I confess to you, I have certainly made you know, this kind of conditional promise to God in my own life. I told God, if you do this for me, I will do that for you. Over the years, however, I realized that actually God doesn't need us to do anything for Him. Right? He really doesn't because He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the whole world. What can we give to Him that He does not already own? Right? So He doesn't really need us to give Him anything. What can we do for God that He cannot accomplish in His own might? God can do anything. Yet, God is gracious to me, and God is gracious to us, and God is gracious to Jacob. Allowing God, Jacob to make his vows, allowing us to make our promises and vows, even if God himself doesn't need it. What about you? Does it trigger some of your thoughts, one of some of your vows or promises you ever made to God? Well, if you ever did so, please know that you are only human, we are only human, you know, and we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. After all, you... To know God is an ongoing relational journey. None of us are born with 100% faith. We all discover God's goodness, just as the song we sung, right? The goodness of God. But it's an ongoing journey. We only know God's faithfulness because God has been faithful in the past. Then we realize, oh, He's been faithful in the past. Then He will continue to be faithful. And this takes time to have this kind of security to know who God is. There are many times that we all struggle to trust God. Even for me as a pastor, my recent struggle is this. I, my, you know, Abraham prayed this prayer to God. God, uh, you promised me this land. But who is going to inherit the promise? I got no descendant. Remember, we covered that in Genesis 15. And so my recent prayer and struggle to God is this. God, you told us to go back to Amokyohab. But who is going? <laughs> <laughs> Where are the people who are called to serve? Right? So that's my prayer uh, challenge with God uh, recently, my dialogue with God. God, you told me this. You told the leadership this. But who's going? We don't know yet. Okay, but God will definitely provide in time to come. But how do I know and have this assurance that God will certainly provide? Because God has been faithful to me in my past. 
I know he will be faithful again. But if you are coming to God like Jacob for the first time, you don't even know whether God is faithful, right? And so when Jacob makes this conditional promise, we don't blame him. We have also done that in our own lives. So at this point in life, Jacob does not yet know of God's faithfulness. At least not in an experiential way. Lah. At least not in his personal life. Maybe he heard the stories of Abraham, he heard of stories from Isaac, but he does not yet know it himself. Like many parents here, we may know God's faithfulness, but we don't see, our children don't yet see it for themselves. So it's okay, pray for them. You know that one day they will also encounter God's faithfulness for themselves. The good news and encouragement for all of us is this. At this point, Jacob doesn't know God, but if you read to the end of the book of Genesis, chapters 48 to 49, the picture that we see of Jacob at the time, very different, very mature in faith, very surrendered to God, resting in the goodness of God. And so that's an encouragement for all of us. We are on this journey. Even if we are starting with knowing God, it's okay. We have the hope and comfort that God will bring us eventually to the place of restedness and true faith uh, as Jacob had towards the end of his life. May God truly mold all of us into godly people of faith as we continue to walk with Him. Again, if you read this passage, it's God who has taken the initiative to make first contact. It is not Jacob. God shows again His unconditional love and covenantal faithfulness. Over and over again, as you read the book of Genesis, you will discover truly this is the theme. God is faithful. God is faithful to His covenant despite of and in spite of our human failings, lies and deceptions. When we are faithless, God is still faithful. Nonetheless, of course, if you have made certain promises to God, your own vows to God, I urge you, either you fulfill them to, for your own conscience sake, not because God needs it, huh, to ease your own conscience, or, of course, bring back, you can also have a new dialogue with God. God, what do you think about this promise I made, vows and stuff, and see what he thinks about them. But let's move on in our study of uh, Jacob's life for today. Chapters 29 to 31 are very familiar accounts of how Jacob, the deceiver, is ironically deceived on the night of his wedding. Have you ever thought to yourself, how can this be? The whole night, the, the whole night, you only discover about this the next morning? Well, the only logical reason I can think of is it's really pitch black. You can't even see your own hand in front of you. How can it be, right? But nonetheless, the Bible tells us Jacob was deceived by his uncle Laban uh, and then he had to marry the sister Leah instead of his beloved Rachel. It's not so simple because he worked seven years. He worked seven years to get to marry Rachel but it turned out to be Leah. <laughs> Imagine you worked seven years for a company thinking that you will be promoted. Then at the last minute, sorry, promote someone else. <laughs> Then you'd work another seven more years in order to get that job, uh, to get that promotion. That's a deception, right? In some ways, for your job situation. So, we learn here that deception really has far-reaching consequences. Isn't it? Jacob himself deceived others, and now he gets a taste of his own medicine. Oops. He betrayed his brother, he lied to his father, and now he experiences the same betrayal and deception by his family members. But then the deception doesn't end here. Jacob will continue to cleverly scheme his way to get himself out of Laban's hands and to get the best of the flock so that when he leaves, the best sheep, the best flock, follow him. And even when they finally do leave Laban, it was his own daughter Rachel who lies to her dad. 
you see the deception happens uh, throughout the whole family. So the short story is this. Rachel, when they left, she, told, she stole her dad's idols. But when the dad came running, looked for them to confront them. Why do you take my idols? Rachel said, no, we didn't do it. But in actual, in actual fact, she hid it under her and she sat on it and she told a lie. I'm having my period so I cannot stand up. Please forgive me. But clearly she's the one who has stolen and deceived his, her own dad. Besides these episodes of deceptions, we also see, you know, Korean Taiwanese drama level of scheming between Rachel and Leia. You can read it for yourself, right? So both of them want to have children by Jacob. Whoa, then they'll do all kinds of things just to have an opportunity to have another child. So all this Taiwanese uh, Korean drama happening there. If you think your family is messy, think again. <laughs> we have a real messy family here. And these are the fa- this is the father of faith, you know. <laughs> the third generation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here is a very messy, patriarchal family. So as an aside, this is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true. Because the Bible doesn't try to paint us a very perfect picture of heroes and heroines of faith. It simply tells us their stories as it is. And so we have seen Abraham lying, Isaac lying, Jacob lying, and even their three wives, Sarah, mocked God. She laughed when God told her about the promise to have a child. She didn't believe God in the first place. Rebecca was the one who conspired with Jacob to tell the, deceive the father, remember? And then Rachel herself, also a liar. All imperfect. And the worst of them being Jacob. Yet, it is to Jacob that God appears in a dream. The worst of them, God appears to him in a dream at Bethel. And this tells us that God is always willing to extend grace even to the worst of sinners, even to the worst of us. Maybe you feel that you're unworthy of God's grace. You know, you've done so many wrong things, you're in lying, you know, deception, all kinds of sin. But today's message tells us that if God can show grace to Jacob, he longs and is willing to show grace to us as well. Of all the Bible characters, I think Jacob is probably one of the worst, right? He comes out grabbing his brother's heel and he dies trying to peace, uh, settle old scores with his own children. He is cheated, he cheats, he deceives, and he himself is deceived. His, his life is really like many of us in our Christian world. We've got two steps forward and one major step back. <laughs> we feel like we're walking towards God, but then whoa, one major step back. And that's like really my, all of us, isn't it? And yet, again, it is the amazing grace of God that extends to us, that reaches us, even when we don't deserve it. In fact, I think we are, if we are honest, maybe sometimes we don't like Jacob because we see so much of ourselves in him. Have you thought about it? Sometimes you know the people that irritate you the most is because you are irritated by yourself in that particular area, isn't it? And so maybe sometimes we don't like Jacob because he's a cheat, but then we realize actually we are also cheaters and deceivers in many ways. Yet surprisingly, when we come to the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, whose name do we find? It's not Esau's name. It's Jacob's name. And truly, again, it tells us of God's amazing grace. I've preached this before, and I thought it's good to remind all of us. In the Old Testament, beyond the book of Genesis, there are you know, many phrases and names of God. But the, God, the, the phrase God of Abraham is only used once 
in the whole entire Old Testament outside of Genesis, and it's in Psalm 47 verse 9. Whereas the phrase God of Isaac is never used on its own. It's always in pair with God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. It's never used by itself. Whereas the term God of Jacob is used just in the book of Psalms alone 12 times. So why this fascination with this particular phrase? Why God of Jacob used so often? Well, it's because for me, I think that refers really to the God of grace. It's a powerful reminder of God's grace to a man who totally does not deceive it. God of Abraham, to me, symbolizes the God of faith. And Abraham is the father of nations, right? So that tells us we must have faith like Abraham. When we use the phrase God of Isaac, it reminds me of miracles. Because God, Isaac is a miracle child, born to a 100-year-old father and 90-year-old mother. He's a miracle child. At the same time, when Isaac you know, was supposed to be sacrificed by his father, Abraham, Abraham had this belief that Isaac would be raised from the dead even if he sacrificed him. So I see him connected with miracles. And of course, his name means laughter or joy. But the God of Jacob, this phrase really reminds us he's a God of grace. Because Jacob truly is a scoundrel, is a deceiver. He does not deserve grace at all. If you cannot picture Jacob, right, because he's so far removed, think of perhaps the person you hate the most in your life. <laughs> it could be a family member. Most likely it's a family member. It could be, you know, a workplace colleague and stuff. Would you want God's grace to reach this person? Honestly, we will say no. Why? Oh, I cannot stand this person. Ah. We will never pray for their salvation, right? Yet, this is exactly what God has done for Jacob. He totally does not deceive it, uh, deserve it. Imagine if you're Esau. How would you view your own brother? Would you want God's grace to be shown to him? Clearly not. But that's exactly what God has done. He has shown grace to the chief of sinners. In the Old Testament, Jacob. New Testament, Apostle Paul. Chief of sinners. And so that encourages me. God is not just the God of Abraham. Wow, great faith. He's not just the God of miracles. Yeah. But above all, He's the God of grace for each of us in our own lives. So let me summarize. Jacob is a deceiver. There's no doubt about that. If anyone is to be hated, it's him. And yet, it is him who has received this revelatory dream. He becomes the dreamer. And he becomes later on the father of Joseph, who I think is the most prophetic dreamer in the Old Testament. Besides Daniel, maybe you can argue, but nonetheless, he begins a new tradition from deception into dreams, from negative human sinfulness. When God gives a dream to to Jacob, he eventually passes on a new spiritual lineage and heritage to his children, right? To become a dreamer, a prophetic dreamer in Joseph. So all this really again points to show us that God's grace is amazing. It is not just redemptive, but it can turn us around for good, turning from deception to dreams. Let me close by referring to a New Testament passage, John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote. He's a good person, right? The Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael asked, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? But Philip said, come and see. 
When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while we were still under the fig tree before Philip caught you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, or my teacher in Aramaic, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What a quick turnaround. <laughs> from one moment, can anything come from Nazareth? But the moment he received this revelation, you are the son of God. And so Jesus said, you believe because I told you, you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Where do you see this phrase before? Angels of God ascending and descending. Where? <laughs> Today's passage, Genesis 28 at Bethel, right? When God appeared to Jacob. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus described Nathanael as one having no deceit? Who is the most deceitful person we have studied so far? Jacob. Jacob is a deceiver. But here we have, in perfect contrast, Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit. But notice both of them saw, or will see, the angels of God ascending and descending. Right? One with full of deceit, <laughs> by the grace of God, saw the dream. Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit, will see angels of God ascending and descending. But the ladder... In the Old Testament, the scholars can argue what did Jacob see. It actually doesn't matter. Because for us, the real ladder, the real gateway between heaven and earth is Jesus Christ himself. He tells Nathaniel, you will see angels ascending and descending, not on the ladder, but on who? The Son of Man, on God himself. It is Jesus who, who is, real, is the real gateway and bridge between heaven and earth. And so when we believe in Jesus, when we confess, I believe in Jesus, is telling truth, right? When you confess the truth, then deceit has to end. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we believe in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit also, more importantly, dwells in us. And then now we become channels. We become the gateways of heaven and earth. Between heaven and earth, we become now the new channels. Because you see, eh, Jesus, remember, is the gateway between heaven and earth, right? And so when we believe in Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of Christ lives in us. And individually then, all of us can be the channel of blessing. We pray the Lord's Prayer all the time. We will pray later on when we take our communion. Right? Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who do you think is going to answer this prayer? Of course it's God, but who is God going to use? Us. We are supposed to be the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us. As we walk with God, we become the channel of God's blessings on earth to release His presence on earth. So, Nathaniel, he had a revelation. Uh, Jesus had a revelation. Jacob, all of them had a revelation. Jacob, in his revelation, he saw God, right? That ladder, whatever you call it, you see it, he saw God. Jesus, too, had a revelation. He saw Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. But the greatest revelation is reserved for Nathaniel. He will see God Himself with angels ascending and descending on Him. If deceit can deceive us and blind us, the way then out of this trap is to embrace truth. 
Truth is the way to the greatest revelation possible. When we recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we see the greatest revelation. That Jesus is the Son of God. I sense there's a special call this day for those of us, you know, who may feel unworthy of receiving God's grace. And so this message, this first message, this first part of the message is really for you. Maybe you find yourselves trapped in deception, either by your own lies or self-deception, as a PTM QC mentioned last week. The possibility of self-deception is very real as well. You may be intentional in telling your own lies, or you may be self-deceived, or you may be lied to by others, or both, or all three. <laughs> Nonetheless, there is hope. When we confess faith and truth in Jesus Christ, He's able to break our bondages and set us free. Maybe some of us feel that we totally don't deserve God's grace. But let me remind us over and over again, the book of Genesis tells us all these fallen people for a reason. Anyone and everyone can be redeemed. There is no one outside the reach of God's grace. So align your mind to truth. And that is, if we confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior, He will set us free. You can be redeemed. We can be set free. If anyone can, deserves to be condemned, it's Jacob, but yet he was saved. And so it is with us as well. There is no one beyond God's redemption. But at the same time, this message today also is uh, for us to check our own hearts, especially if we have contempt, we dislike certain people. We say, ah, yeah, these people, I just don't want to share the gospel with them. I don't think they deserve to know Jesus Christ. You know, that can block redemption. Maybe God is using you to go and speak to them, the people that you don't like, because nobody else is talking to them as well. So unless we are open to God, we open our minds like Nathaniel did. Even though Nathaniel initially showed contempt, what can come out of Nazareth, right? But in the end, when Philip said, his brother said, come and see, he chose to be open. At least he was willing to go. And this step of openness allowed him eventually to see the greatest revelation ever. Jesus, the Son of God angels ascending and descending on him. And so wherever we see ourselves, whether we see ourselves today more like Jacob, the good news is you can be saved and redeemed. Receive God's grace. Be open to God's grace. On the other hand, you know, if you have already tasted the goodness of God, but there are people that we don't like in our lives, then today's message is this. Don't hold them in contempt. Don't be like Nathaniel. Open to the possibility of God's grace to them as well. Begin at least to pray for them. As much as you don't like to, maybe you can pray, God, make me willing to pray for them. First step, the precursor before you even begin to pray for them. Make me willing, Lord, to pray for them. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you once again for this fascinating and amazing story of your grace, as we see it in Jacob's life, how you can redeem and transform a deceiver into becoming a dreamer, how you can change his life and destiny from one of sin to one because of your grace filled with all the promises of God. And so, Lord, we want to surrender ourselves afresh to you. Lord, we ask for your grace. Redeem us from our sins. Lord, we ask also for your grace to help us to be willing to extend this same grace, especially to the people whom we feel don't deserve it. Make us willing, Lord. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves afresh to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.